Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Guys, I just want to say um, how wonderful it is to be with you, and thanks for the lovely introduction, Bob. Um, Actually, standing here this morning actually does something a little bit to me because uh, my father used to play the pipe organ here um, some many years ago. And um, so mum and dad used to come here and um, dad's now gone to glory, he's passed on. Mum, she does struggle with her memory. She's in her home now, but she did know I was coming to Windsor Road today. So she said, please say hello um, from her. So um, Bob told you some of my little secrets there. Watchmaker, clockmaker, all those things. Um, I've actually had a very fascinating journey. Um, God's taken me to all sorts of places around the world, not only in the business life, but also with missions. I've got an incredibly rich missional background. And um, I might talk about that depending on time a little bit there at the end there. But um, I've also had other things that I've been very blessed to have happened to me. I actually used to work for the Queen. So um, pretty cool in one respect. So I've managed to be also the last designer of the Melbourne Cup. So the Melbourne Cup you see carried around Australia today is uh, I had my little hand in that once upon a time. But I've also gone into countries where I've seen extreme poverty, um, the flip side of life, the real side of life. And today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about lasting work and I believe you've been having a wonderful series and exploring some of these incredible Bible characters that we, uh, we read about and uh, quite often research and go, well, what did their life really look like? <clears throat> today I'm actually going to be talking about uh, lasting work. And I look at my journey, I look at all the different places where I've been able to work, where I've been able to learn something from others or where I've been able to tap into. It's just so incredible. And today we're going to actually be looking at the Apostle Paul. And I don't know what you know about the Apostle Paul, but I'm going to go into some real detail about his journey, and then we'll look at the application and what Paul was saying to us about lasting work. But I'd like to just start off, first of all, um, with this verse. And I think the PowerPoints are working fantastic. And by the way, thanks to the worship team, great choice of songs. Um, I just think it's nothing, um, nothing is more exciting than getting together uh, to actually sing God's praises together. But I want to start off with this verse here. And you just look at this incredible planet that we live on and also what we've been asked to do. Psalm 8 verses 3 to 9 says this, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with the glory and honour. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under their feet. All the flocks, the herds, the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. There is an old saying that we only have one life. And that's very true. We only do. 
But the saying goes further, it says, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will actually last. And the saying contains a deep truth, but it also raises a fundamental question. What kind of work done for Christ will last? And a lot of you might be sitting there thinking, well, what does that look like? What does it look like in my daily living? Is everything that I do, is, 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 is that what you're meaning? No doubt the Apostle Paul was a very, very hard worker. And he showed us the importance of lasting work. But I'd like to start off with another favourite verse of mine. And we'll see if we can get that up. It's whoop, gone too far, I pushed too hard. There we go. Um, <clears throat> this verse of mine is a verse that I used to ponder on a lot when I was a young child. And it simply says this, Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Right? He has also said eternity in the human heart. And yet nobody can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I'll repeat that last bit. Nobody can fathom what God is doing from beginning to end. You see, God is continuously working. We are also the pinnacle of his creation. Do you realize that? That we are his prized creation. There is a plan, there is a purpose for us all. And if we are willing to walk very closely with him, listening carefully, obeying him, following him daily, he actually directs us. SBS, I don't know, uh, any SBS watchers here, news watchers, a few hands. If you ever want to go and do your shopping, go at about 6.30 down to Aldi's. Um, everybody's down there who normally, um, sorry, I'm aiming it more at the retirees. Um, that's when I go down now because I know they're all watching SBS. But SBS actually had this caption, and it used to captivate me as well, and it was between 2013 and 2016, they put this little caption just up, um, just before the news actually started, and it actually simply said this, there are 7.3 billion stories to be told. Now I want you to note something, that uh, they're referring to the world's population. We have approximately 8 billion people now living on this incredible planet. But notice they didn't say there are three billion stories to be told out of the 7.3. They didn't say four, they didn't say five. It was fully inclusive, fully inclusive. And it makes me stop and think, you know, my question is how big is God too? Because if each and every one of us is uniquely made, if every one of us is actually different, but we're made in God's image, how big does that make our God? You see, we all have a special assignment and everyone has um, full potential to uniquely work with the special gifts that God has given them. And every one of them has got that special, um, every one of us here today has got that assignment. And all of us are here to extend God's kingdom. Paul also says in Philippians 4.3, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And at the end of the day, God is on our side. Like, he really is on our side. Sometimes we don't believe that. He's on our side and we can do anything if we, as I mentioned before, are walkly, uh, sorry, walking closely with him. 
All we need to do is ask him. Ask him for support, ask him for guidance, ask him for direction. He is our strength no matter where he has placed us. Paul also states uh, a very interesting verse, and this is easy for us to do. He says, do all things without grumbling and questioning. Now, how often do we grumble and question? I'm, I'm a pretty good one at grumbling and questioning at times. All right? He goes further to say, um, do all these things without it, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And that's what Jesus wants us to do, to be his shining light, to be his hands and feet and to bring the gospel. And the good news, even in the dark and confusing times, do whatever is needed without doubt of hesitation. And if you choose to work hard and keep your head down, you know what actually happens? People see it and people start to follow it. They start to follow your lead. And this is what the Apostle Paul did along his journey. He led and others followed. They could see there was something different. The Apostle Paul is a handful of people who, from the ancient world, whose words still have the capacity to leap off the page, and they still have the capacity to actually confront us. Now, I must admit, as a young kid, and even going through theological college, I wasn't sure what to make of the Apostle Paul. A very interesting character of the Bible. Now, whether we agree with him or not, whether we like him or not, his letters are personal, they are incredibly passionate. Sometimes they are tearful. Sometimes they are teasing. Often they can be very dense. Sometimes very dense, but they're never dull. But who is he and what made him tick? And why did this seemingly erratic missionary have such a, pr uh, a pr uh, sorry, profound influence on the world of ancient Greece and Rome, and thereby on the world today. Paul is often considered also to be the most important person after Jesus in the history of Christianity. His epistles have had the enormous influence of Christian theology, especially on the relationship between God the Father and Jesus and on the mystical human relationship with the divine. You see, Paul was a Dispora Jew. He was a member of a party of the Pharisees who experienced a revelation of the resurrection, uh, sorry, of the resurrected Jesus Christ. After this experience, he travelled widely throughout all of Eastern Roman Empire, spreading the good news that Jesus would actually soon return from heaven and usher in the reign of God, um, God's kingdom. So why are the letters of Paul so important? Paul's epistles are very significant because they actually convey uh, a truth that predates them. Before there was any New Testament uh, scriptures, um, they were the only eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Paul then became an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a herald of this good news. Now, Paul, I don't know how well you'll know your New Testament, but... Um, can somebody tell me how many books are in the New Testament? 26, 27? Bob's thinking about it. Paul's actually written nearly half 
of the books in the New Testament. And um, they range from Romans, I don't know if I put that one up there, yes I did, uh, Romans right through to Philemon's. And it's a rich arrangement, it's a rich tapestry of God's love. It actually demonstrates these books actually also how to live our life, how to actually work. The funny thing is Saul, I'm now calling him something else, claimed to be a Pharisee and was first mentioned in Acts 7.50, uh, sorry, um, um, chapter 7, verse 58, as the young man attending the stoning of Stephen in Jerusalem. And in the very same verse, we actually read this, that Saul actually approved of them killing him. So here you have this man, this great mission, um, uh, this great missionary, who's also before his conversion, giving approval to the stoning and the killing of Stephen. You see, Saul was known as Paul, and Paul's parents actually valued their Jewish heritage, and so they gave him the name Saul. That was an appropriate name for a boy from the tribe of Benjamin, which um, Saul was from. And Paul's conversion was around about the AD 34-37, and he arrived in Cyprus around about AD 48, which means that he continued to use the name of Saul for possibly as long as 14 years, even after his conversion. So why did he have a name switch? And we hear of, in the New Testament, many uh, times where a Bible character's name has been changed. But the answer lies in Paul's claim that he was actually born a Roman citizen. But he also had these faithful Jewish um, parents. Having different names for different cultures was somewhat a very common place. And when Ananias came to restore his sight, he called him Brother Saul. Saul is called Paul for the very first time on the island of Cyprus, much later than the time of his conversion. And Paul confirmed that Christ had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And finally, I believe that God chose Paul because he was very real. He was also incredibly authentic, so personal, and he was also incredibly loving. He was not merely a man of great intellect, but one of heartfelt emotions for his fellow Jews. Now, a little bit more about the man, Paul, the apostle, one of the leaders of the first generation of the Christians, as I mentioned before, often considered to be one of the most important people after Jesus in the history of Christianity. And in his own day, although he was a major figure within a very small Christian movement, he also had many enemies, many detractors, and his contemporaries probably did not accord him as much respect as they even gave Peter and James. And Paul was compelled to struggle, just like we do, therefore to establish his own worth and authority. His surviving letters, however, have had enormous influence on subsequent Christianity and secured his place as one of the greatest religious leaders of all times. His birthplace was actually in Tarsus, and this was a major city that has been made part of the Roman province of Syria. Um, and that was by the time that Paul actually became um, Roman. Sorry, this fell off. My apologies. You can still hear me okay. Am I best not to have this on? 
Night school? Okay, my apologies. Um, two of the main cities uh, of Syria, Damascus and Antioch, played a very important, prominent part of his life and letters. Although the exact date of his birth is not known, um, he was active as a missionary in the, uh, roughly around about in the 40s and 50s of the first century. So Paul lived a very interesting journey. So he would have seen Christ's crucifixion. He would have been where all the upheaval was happening with the Roman Empire. And it is believed that Paul was probably born sometime around the same time as Jesus was born or maybe just a little bit later. In his childhood and youth, Paul learned how to work with his hands. And this is an important part. Is that me making lots of noises? It's great. Okay. Um, so in his youth, he learned how to work with his hands. A bit like me, I'm a watchmaker, clockmaker, as Bob mentioned before. He was a tradesman. But this guy was a tent maker, which he continued to practice after his conversion into Christianity. And it helps explain some very important aspects of his apostleship. You see, Paul could travel with a few leather working tools and set up shop anywhere that he actually went. Another great way to spread the gospel. And it is doubt, uh, sorry, doubtful that his family was wealthy, but since he found it noteworthy that he sometimes worked with his own hands, it may be assumed that he was not your normal common labourer. Until the midpoint of Paul's life, he was a member of the Pharisees. And those who don't know much about the Pharisees was a very religious party that emerged during the Second Temple period. What little is known about Paul, um, the Pharisee, reflects the character of the Pharisaic movement. Pharisees believed in life after death, which was one of Paul's deepest convictions. They accepted non-biblical traditions as being about as important as the written Bible. And Paul refers to experiences in traditions. Pharisees were very clear, uh, uh, sorry, were very careful students of the Hebrew Bible, and Paul was able to quote extensively from the Greek. It was also very um, common for uh, these young, bright, ambitious young boys to actually memorize the Bible, as it would have also been very difficult and expensive for Paul to carry around large scrolls. He would have memorized and known it off by heart. And by his own account, Paul was the best Jew, he says, and the best Pharisee of his generation, though he claimed to be the least apostle of Christ and attributed his, his success to the grace of God. But Paul spent the first half of his life actually persecuting the nascent Christians, an activity to which he refers to several times. And Paul's motivations are a little unknown, but they seem to have been connected to his Phariseeism. The chief priests, uh, uh, the chief persecutors of the Christian movement in Jerusalem were the high priests and his associates who were Sadducees. And it was possible that Paul believed that um, Jewish converts to the new movement were not sufficiently observant to the Jewish law and that Jewish converts mingled too freely 
with Gentile convents, thus associating themselves with idolatrous practices, or that the notion of crucified Messiah was um, objectionable. The young Paul certainly would have rejected the view that Jesus had been raised after, uh, after his death, not because he doubted the resurrection as such, but because he would not have believed that God chose to favour Jesus by rising him before the time of the judgment of the world. Whatever the reasons were, Paul's for Paul's persecutions probably involved travelling from synagogue to synagogue and urging the punishment of Jews who accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Disobedient members of synagogues were punished by some sort of ostracism or by a light flogging which Paul himself later suffered at least five times, though he does not say where or when. But however, this was the man that was on the way to Damascus when he had this incredible vision that changed his life. And in Galatian, he speaks that God revealed his son to him. And Paul states that he saw the Lord Following this, uh, sorry, this revelation, which convinced Paul that God had indeed chosen Jesus to be the pros uh, sorry, promised Messiah, he went to Arabia. He then returned to Damascus, and three years later, he went to Jerusalem to become acquainted with the leading apostles there. And after this meeting, he began his famous missions, uh, mission trips, and he began to go west preaching first to native Syria, and, and then during the next 20 years or so, he established many churches in Asia Minor, and at least three in Europe, including the Church of Corinth. You see, during the course of his missions, Paul realised that his preaching to the Gentiles was creating difficulties to the Christian churches in Jerusalem, who thought that Gentiles must become Jewish in order to join the movement. To settle the issue, Paul actually returned to Jerusalem and he actually struck a deal. And it was agreed that Peter would be the principal apostle to the Jews and uh, Paul the principal one to the Gentiles. And Paul would not have to change his message, but he would take up a collection for the Jerusalem church, which was indeed, sorry, which was in need of financial support through Paul, Paul's Gentile churches. Um, who were very hard, um, uh, well, they weren't, wealthy, um, they weren't wealthy churches. In the late 50s, Paul actually returned to Jerusalem with the money that he had raised and a few of his Gentile, uh, sorry, with a few of his Gentile um, converts. There he was arrested for taking the Gentile movement too far and then taking a Gentile into the temple precincts. And after a series of trials, he was sent to Rome. And later, Christian tradition favours a view that he was actually executed there. Most likely um, through the order of uh, Nero at the particular time, around about 64 CE. Just want to move on as we, we start to get to the end of Paul's journey here, that Paul believed that his vision actually had proved his vision on the road had proved that Jesus lived in heaven and that Jesus was the Messiah 
and who was the Son of God, and that he would soon return. Moreover, Paul thought that the purpose of his revelation was his own appointment to preach among the Gentiles, and that is a significant part in his missional journey, to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And by the time of his extant letter Romans, he could clearly describe his own place in God's plan. The Hebrew prophets, he wrote, had predicted that in the days to come, God would restore the tribes of Israel and that the Gentiles would then turn to worship the one true God. And Paul maintained that his place in the scheme was to win the Gentiles, both Greeks and barbarians, which was the common term for the Greeks at that particular time. Despite Paul's occasional intemperate outbursts that sometimes we read in scripture, and in particular, I wanted to raise this one, women should be silent in churches. I wanted to just draw our attention to that one because women actually played a very, very large part in Paul's missional endeavor. Paul speaks about them regularly. He talks about Chloe, who was an important member of the Church of Corinth. He talks about Phoebe, who was a deacon and a benefactor of Paul and others. And in Romans 16, he actually names eight other women active in the Christian movement. Women were frequently among the major supporters of new religious movements and Christianity was of no exception. And that's really important to note about women and their place and um, just what they carry. And Paul could recognize that at the time as well. Paul's basic message was to reveal the essence of the Christian message. Firstly, through one, God sent his son. Second, God was crucified and resurrected for the benefit of humanity. And thirdly, the son would soon return. And fourth, those who belonged to the son would live forever. Paul had certain achievements and influence, and although other early Christian missionaries converted Gentiles, and the Christian movement, even without Paul, probably would have broken away from its Jewish parent, Paul played, however, a crucial role in those developments, and accordingly is regarded, as I said before, as the second founder of the Christian movement. His mission was to convert Gentiles, to help to achieve the separation of the Christian movement from Judaism. And it should be emphasized that he sought to create a new humanity in Christ, including all Jews and Gentiles. Paul's greatest impact on Christian history? Well, I think it comes from his letters, which are the most influential books in the New Testament. And his letters are vital, they're persuasive, partly because they reveal the powerful aspects of his personality, especially his passion and his dedication. After noting that he has suffered for Christ's sake in order to gain, Paul declared in Philippians 3, 10 to 11, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain 
the resurrection from the dead. He also says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who is actually against us? Who can actually separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or the peril or the sword? No, all these things, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, nor um, conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. I just want to draw to a bit of a close, and I know that seemed a, a fairly in-depth, a lot of history about Paul, but it sort of brings us to the point um, where there are three important passages in Paul's first letters to the Corinthians outlining last work. And I just want to finish with these three, then tell a small story. 1 Corinthians 3, 12, 15 says, If anybody builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the fires. And in this passage, the, the apostle makes the sobering point that although some of our work will pass, uh, sorry, some, some of our work will pass the durability test. There will be those work that will not pass the test. And though they themselves will be saved, even if only escaping through flames. In the next verse, we read in Corinthians 13, 13, it says this, we know this one well, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. There's a Catholic scholar by the name of John Horry who says, it seems that it's not acts of faith, hope and love in themselves at last, but rather works done in faith, hope and love. It is not pure intention alone, nor is it faith, hope and love residing unexercised as these three infuse theological virtues in a person that lasts. And what lasts is the action taken on these three virtues and the praxis that flows from the intention, the work, the virtues shape. These last. And finally, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, we read, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour is not in vain. Paul exhorts the Corinthians. Paul's reference in the passage to works of the Lord pointed to various ministries engaging, sorry, engaged by the Corinthians. But even these works sorry, included mundane things such as helping and administrating. And in a wider application of the chapter, Paul is assuring his friends that what makes all their labour, whether it's homemaking or bridge building worthwhile and enduring is the fact that it's done for the Lord.
Clearly through our daily work, we leave our mark on the cosmos and on the environment, on government, on culture, on neighbourhoods, families, and even the principalities and powers. And the Bible hints in some way beyond our imagination that our marks are actually permanent. Not only ordinary Christian priests of creation past and present, they along with missionaries, pastors, Christian educators, are shaping the future of creation in some way. I guess it goes back to that opening statement that I started with at the beginning is profoundly true. Only one life, it will, twill, sorry, it will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Micah 6.8 says this, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And walking humbly with our God is the basis for everything that we actually do. And doing justice simply means doing right by our fellow man. I probably tried to pack a lot in all that, but I want to actually just finish with one short story. And I did mention that I came from a missional background. Um, my father was actually born in China, and my grandparents were missionaries in a little town called Dali. And we're going back a long time ago, back to 1927. And I'd like to end with this story because we talk about our work. Is our work in vain? Is the little things we do, are they missed? Sometimes we think we have some fairly big things to conquer that God's told us to do, and maybe some of those things did not work out the way that we thought. But it goes back to one thing, God is always continuously working within us. And I tell you this story because I want to refer to this Bible passage just to finish. And we'll just read it, and it just says this in John's Gospel. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They, they, they are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. And thus, thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. And I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have actually done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labour. Now that verse or those verses... Um, very real and very true. And you might have heard the old song and the saying, we are all in this together. And God wants us to work together. And it's amazing how he brings things together when we're prepared to do that. But the story is this, is that it had a huge impact on my life. And that was, I remember my grandfather when I was a young child weeping because he had to flee the mission field back in 1937-1938 when communism went through. And back in those days, a lot of the missional movements, um, I don't know if you've heard of the Moravians, but the Moravians were a movement where when they got called by God, they would actually pack their coffin. 
They would fill it with all of their earthly possessions and they would put it on top of the coach or the steam trip because they knew that it was a one-way trip to reach the world. So my grandparents, my grandmother came from um, uh, San Francisco as a missionary in 1927, grandfather from Birmingham. Um, they met each other in Shanghai, got married in Kunming, and they went up into the mission field. And they believed that their journey was going to be for life, that it was going to be lifelong um, to be spent with the Chinese people. But as I mentioned, they got um, sent out of China and they could not go back in. And I remember my grandfather weeping as this devastated him because he felt that the work had not been completed, had not been done. But it was some 90 years later that my son and I managed to go back into China with a very um, dear close pastor friend of mine. His surname is also Ing, Pastor Ing um, Tong Ing, who was over at River Life Church. And we went back into this little town of Dali where my grandparents' mission school actually still operates today, to this very day. And the church where they ministered in still operates to this very day. And I went back into the town on my very first night there with the Chinese pastor. And I had my grandfather's diary with me. And as we talked, I talked about the sacrifice these missionaries 90 years prior had made. And the work that they had done, the seeds that were sown. You see, I also had these old pictures of uh, mountainous uh, huge mountain ranges and gorges and raging rivers and they actually travelled it all in there by foot thinking and knowing that they probably would not come back but in my grandparents case it was it was different and I was explaining this to this dear Chinese man when um, I was in this tea house and how devastated my grandparents were I was telling him this through my interpreter and then suddenly I realised this man had tears just pouring down his face. And through his interpreter he said back to me these words that will stick with me forever. He said, it's because of your grandparents that there are now millions and millions and millions of Chinese who love the Lord Jesus Christ today. Now that hit me like a tonne of bricks. And today we're talking about lasting work. And of course my grandparents never saw that. But the story is that we all have that part to play and it doesn't matter whether we're sponsoring a child through Baptist World Aid or through another organisation or whether we're working with our neighbour in our backyard. Our work means something for the kingdom. And there are many things and you might see something so insignificant that you might play today doing justice by just helping somebody that will have lasting work for the kingdom of God. You see, everything is important if we, if we walk closely with our God. And as I said, it's the basis for everything that we do, showing mercy, walking humbly. So I'll just leave you with that, but first uh, all, thank you for, well, last of all, I should say, thank you for having me. But I'd like to just close in prayer. I'll be down at that little table if you want to chat about anything, and I know the lovely Laura will be running it next week as well. And, um, but look, I do want to thank your time here today. Uh, sorry for having me here today. Uh, but let's just bow our heads in prayer. So Father God, we just want to thank you. What an amazing, 
What a loving, uh, wonderful God you are. And uh, Lord, you have given us so much to do, so much to steward, so much to work with. And it's quite often those little things that sometimes we think are insignificant and can be so powerful. And Lord, you have wonderfully blessed everybody in this room today with a special assignment. They're uniquely made. They're, uh, they're not like the person next to them. And in doing so, Lord, we can all have impact and impact with different people in this world that you've sent us out to actually love on and preach the gospel to. And we want to thank you for leaders and uh, apostles, the greats of the Bible, those that have gone before us, us who have put pen to paper, who have given us uh, their stories of how they've lived their life as, to, as an example as to how we should live ours. And so, Lord, I just want to pray for this church, that this church will just continue as it has um, for way over a century, just being uh, a lighthouse here in this part of the city. And so, Lord, we just, um, with what we've learned today, Lord, may we just continue to build on that. May we just work with it. And we, may we also be your hands and feet as we step into next week and into this period where we celebrate the birth of your son. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.